You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. everyone, and welcome to episode 420 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Wednesday here in the early portion of October. And I'm joined, as often, by Scott Coleman. Scott, the wild card round is over in two days. And not just with regard to where the Braves were concerned, the entire wild card round is over in two days. And the Braves are going to face the Phillies in the rematch. How are we feeling on this Wednesday evening? Hey, Brad, I am great. I am really looking forward to some Braves playoff baseball. And this is the best time of the year. Just this is what you watch and tune in for for six months. And yeah, I mean, two, I mean, none of the the wild card rounds were even competitive, largely. I mean, I guess the Milwaukee and Arizona series was decently close, but I mean, Texas just throttled. I mean, they, Tampa Bay got smoked. Uh, the Phillies destroyed Miami. And uh, and the Twins, good for the Twins. Their fans have been long-suffering for a long time, and they played really well against Toronto. So a good couple of days of wild-card rounds, but now we are pretty exclusively into the big boys when it comes to the rest of the playoffs. As someone who is older than you, I will never say good for the Twins ever in my life. That's never yeah, going to happen, that, uh, but that's okay. I, not, that's you're, actually, you're actually right. It's okay. Um, but no, all that said, uh, we are recording. I, I kind of teased it out earlier today. We're recording late. We wanted to get you the NLDS preview as quickly as possible, which meant that, of course, our guy, Rob Manfred, put the Phillies-Marlins game last on the schedule on Wednesday, meaning that we had to wait for it to be resolved before we could actually start recording the podcast. But Scott's on the West Coast. I don't really sleep. And here we are. We will say, I will say this. We're going to save the the Phillies like deep dive for the second part of the podcast. We're going to talk about the Brave stuff first. But uh, no, just know that it's coming because rematch, rivals, all that stuff is on the way, I promise you. But there is some Brave stuff to be concerned about independent of the opponents. And uh, the big thing, of course, the big talking point in the last couple of days is Max Freed. Uh, the Braves are running these public sim games basically this week at Truist Park, which is a pretty good idea, I think, for fan engagement and kind of just staying active and still want to change it up after last year and the way things went, which we'll talk about again later on against Philadelphia. But Freed threw five innings and 76 pitches on Tuesday. He wore a Band-Aid, uh, which is not allowed in a actually uh, sanctioned game, but he only wore it after the first inning, apparently. Snit said today that they covered it up after the first inning, but uh, he seems to be just fine. He was very upbeat about that. He didn't talk last night. He did talk today on Wednesday, meaning Bryce Sicker. Max has not spoken that I have seen, but all signs as of this recording, and again, we're recording Wednesday night, all signs are pointing to Freed being ready to go in game two on five days rest. Uh, how are you feeling about this? Because certainly it's not um, without some angst, 
But as we sort of go into the second part of the week here, it feels like it's heading in the right direction with regard to Max Freed. And clearly that's a very important topic. Yeah, obviously uh, a player of key importance in this series, especially when you're talking about a five-game series. Of course, if it goes all five games, the Braves are going to call on Max to pitch twice. So by all accounts, really since the injury first popped up, the Braves and Max have said all of the right things. It felt like a situation they really just wanted to maintain and manage and not risk it getting worse when the games didn't mean a whole lot. And really, even even though Max has had this blister, he is pretty continually thrown over the last two weeks. He was throwing bullpens during the final week of the regular season. He, of course, threw 76 pitches today on Wednesday, which is really encouraging. So naturally, you're going to hold your breath a little bit while he goes out there, especially if he's able to work deep into the game. Just worry about that finger becoming a problem in the fifth or sixth inning. But overall, man, my my concern with this injury at the beginning was fairly low. And while we aren't privy to Max's finger and and being able to see it, it does seem like he has progressed well. And we are talking about a blister here. It's not like he's trying to defy the odds and come back with a, you know, a a high ankle sprain in two weeks or a, a popped oblique in two weeks. This is something that really is pretty manageable. And hopefully Max is ready to go and, and be close to himself for game two. For sure. And it's only magnified now with the way the Phillies kind of series broke, which again we'll come back to later on. But it's lining up for Zach Wheeler to pitch game two and five for Philadelphia. And Zach Wheeler was, if not the best pitcher in the National League this year, certainly in the top five. So that's going to be a, a headline grabbing matchup in game two and then potentially again in game five, should that actually be necessary. Other than that, not a ton of news like Snit talked today again on Wednesday. Bryce Elder is going to pitch in the Thursday sim game, which again is happening tomorrow as we record this, as is Darius Vines, as is Nick Anderson, which was an interesting kind of uh, inclusion there. Charlie Morton was away from the team this weekend for a family thing, but he's back. He played catch today. As a reminder, Morton is not available for the first series here, the National League Division Series, but he could be back and maybe projects to be back for the NLCS if the Braves were to get there. But that's kind of it on the news front. I mean, we've had a couple of podcasts since you and I last talked. Uh, well, I guess since, you know, you and Steven last talked on this on this feed. But um, anything else about to you as far as like news is concerned? Because other than that, it's like kind of like roster decisions and everything else is pretty much straight and narrow. Like Ronnie being the National League Player of the Month is like, I guess, the thing that happened. Like, that's not exactly surprising. He's been incredible for months and months and months now. But that's kind of it. Yeah, no news is generally good news this yes. time of year. I'll take I'll take quiet and calm. I do think the the sim games were a really good idea. It looked like the city really turned out. The entire lower bowl looked like it was pretty full for those couple of days. So a, a good opportunity for the Braves to get some work in. And yeah, man, I mean, I think everyone is just anxious now at this point, waiting for Saturday. It's it's uh, especially because the Braves have had the division clinched for so long and the first round by clinched for so long. Just I mean, if I could snap my fingers and bring around first pitch on Saturday afternoon <laughs> or Saturday night, I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, you know how, how this works, though, with regard to the sim games, if the Braves win the DS, they were a great idea. If the Braves lose the DS, everyone will blame the sim games. Yeah. It's just, oh, that's just what happens. 100%. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's why we're doing the same games this year, because they lost last year. Um, at any rate, that's all of the news. Now, let's focus on the Braves a little bit before we turn to the, the page to the Phillies. 
there's some some uncertainty with the roster. Not a ton. I'll say this: like this is very much on the periphery. The Braves, uh, fortunately, other than Charlie Morton, have really not a ton of uncertainty here. Um, there are a bunch of like the position player side. It's almost basically locked in. They have 12 guys. I won't. I guess I'll read them to you now quickly. Who are I, I think locks? Maybe maybe you disagree, but uh, Murphy and Darno. Of course, uh, Olsen, Ozzy, Arcia, Riley, the infield, Eddie, um, Michael Harris, Ronald Acuna, Marcelo Zuna, Nicky Lopez, and Kevin Pillar. Seems like a complete lock, barring some weird injury between now and Saturday. Are we on the same page there? Yeah, stone-cold okay. locks. Stone-cold locks. That's 12. So the roster can be as many as 26 people. Um, could have as many as 13 position players. Probably not more than 13. Um they have, uh, I almost put Forrest Wall in the leaning to lock section. It seems like Forrest Wall is very likely to be there as the speedster defensive replacement. Um, he, I think for me, would be a very clear 13 if I had to pick another guy on the position side. Um, do you disagree with that? And if and if not, um, who's 14 if you have to go to 14? Because it seems like some of the projections, like Bowman's included 14 position players. Um, I don't know if I'd even go to 14. What do you think about that sort of in general, 13 versus 14? And also, again, this is an important time to point, to point this out once again now on the podcast. There are two days off in the series, so extra pitching arms are of a little bit less importance this time around. Yeah, regarding Forrest Wall, I would agree. I would put him towards a heavy lean for the roster just because he brings a skill set that nobody else really does off the bench with elite speed, steals a million bases, and you know is a versatile outfielder. And you need a special player like that, right? It's the it's the Terrence Gore role where yeah, they're probably not ever going to do anything besides run the bases, but. You're going to want that guy if it's a tie game in the extra innings and Matt Olson leads off with a walk. Uh, guess what? Forrest Wall is getting his name called to go out there and try to steal a base and then come home to score the winning run. So I, I would lean towards him. You know, the, the the final bench spot, I don't know if I feel super strongly. I think I'd probably lean Vaughn Grissom. Uh, he He brings the most offensively. The third catcher thing is interesting with Chadwick Tromp, although, knock on wood, the likelihood of a double injury to Sean Murphy and Travis <laughs> Darno is so low, and I promise you I'm knocking on wood. Uh, but I, I would I would lean towards Grissom. I would trust him with a pinch hit appearance. Of course, those are fairly uncommon now with the universal DH, but to round out the position players, I'll say it is Forrest Wall and Vaughn Grissom. Yeah, the other name that has popped up is Luke Williams. He was on Bowman's projection I saw a couple of days ago. Uh, I do think that while if you're a new listener to the podcast, you may not know that Scott and I have kind of made fun of the third catcher thing for a long time. And uh, Snit pretty infamously like refuses to use his second catcher to do really anything. But um, I think that this is a nuance that doesn't matter a ton right now. But because Ozuna is so locked in and has been so good for so long, as the DH, like early in the year, dating back to April, we were talking about the very real possibility that like they were going to be using Darno as a DH pretty regularly. And that just hasn't happened. And because of that, I think the third catcher just is not even really something I would even consider. I, I put it on the list because I feel like it has to be mentioned, but I, I would not do that. I honestly would probably just take a 13th pitcher if I had to do that. But in this series, because of the extra days off, I don't really care. And I kind of lean with you. It's either Grissom for me or it's a 13th pitcher. I don't have a huge opinion on that. Uh, if, it, if it was a series that didn't have days off, 
I would be very strongly in favor of a 13th pitcher, but because there was two days off, it's like, eh, all right, take Vaughn. And if there's a scenario where you end up going 13 innings and you've already burned Forrest Wall uh, in place of like, let's just say, here's the one example where you might use Vaughn Grissom or someone like that. You basically have a lead late in the game. You have used Pilar. You maybe even use Forrest Wall as a defensive replacement, but you blow a lead and you go to the 12th inning. You have nobody else to bat and you need to use uh, and you, you basically you don't want force wall to bat or something like that. It's like yeah. a very very niche scenario where you would use von Grissom, but uh, I'm kind of with you. Yeah, and generally in the playoffs, rosters get condensed. So yes, you need 26 plus players to make it through a six month season. But in the playoffs, I've always felt it's really like your 20 best players, maybe even 18. Of course, the bullpen you're not going into here. Yeah, you know, your eighth reliever out of the bullpen is generally not called upon very much in the playoffs. The fourth or fifth guy off your bench is, especially with the DH, is really not going to get into many games. So these are, of course, important players, important decisions to have. I'm sure the front office is going over, but in a in an ideal world, you're probably not having to call on a forest wall for anything other than pinch running a Von Grissom, anything more than a late, late, late inning uh, pinch hit appearance, those type of things. Right. If they carry a 13th position player, I would bet you or anyone that that guy will not appear in the LDS. Now he might, it's not, it's not impossible, but if it's Von Grissom, the smart money would be on him not playing at any point in the series. (laughs) It's just, that's the math on it to your point. Um, on the, on the pitching side, it's a little bit less certain. I think, I came up with like six absolute locks and then there's another like five or six likely guys. Uh, the absolute locks on my list were freed if healthy, of course, Strider, Iglesias, Minter, Jimenez, and Pierce Johnson. Uh, is there anybody that you would add to the absolute? And I want to stress absolute 100% lock list. Everybody, There's other guys that are like likely, but utter locks for you. Uh Stone cold locks. No, nobody else. I mean, as we're going to say in a second here, there are very, very likely options, but no, those are the, I would say the big six. Yeah. Uh, obviously your two starters, your four top relievers. I would be pretty surprised as we transition here. If Bryce Elder was not on the roster, um, I, I've seen some hot air takes about elder, not pitching and all this stuff. But I, I think I'll, I'll just say, I'll be surprised if they leave him off. Um, he's one. And then you have, Kyle Wright, who they've talked about pretty openly as a bullpen long man option, could even be a piggyback with Elder potentially. Uh, and then you have four other guys who've been prominently involved. Um, this is in no order, but Jesse Chavez, Brad Hand as the second lefty, uh, Kirby Yates, and Michael Tonkin. Uh, that's that's the group that I had. Would you add or subtract any of those from the likely list? Um, you know, I think just. There's only so many healthy arms at this point in the season that, I mean, I, I guess these guys are all six of them. Again, Elder, Chavez, Hand, Yates, Tonkin, and Kyle Wright. I would think all six of them make it. You know, Michael Tonkin in the second half of the year has been pretty bad. Yeah, he, he's the one on the borderline, just to be transparent. He was my, he was 12 out of 12 for me. Yeah. He has an ERA of of five something, I believe, in the second half. But, you know, again, he's a he's a valuable piece. He can go multiple innings. He has pitched some pretty high leverage spots. And, you know, if we were we're going to list off the pitching maybes, if there were a couple of guys where it's like, wow, we can't afford to leave him off the roster, then maybe I'd feel a little bit stronger. But there's just not that many arms at this point in the year, especially with Charlie uh, Morton on the I.L., 
it's just a numbers game <clears throat> at this point. Yeah. Um, so look, if they carry 13 position players, then they only have one or two more of these guys. One, if you include Tonkin. Um, and that is between um, some starter longer man options like Smith Shaver or Vines or Winans. Then you have uh, Colin McHugh. They quietly activated from the IL. People kind of noticed that in the last couple of days. Uh, Nick Anderson, again, is scheduled to throw on Thursday. So we don't know this from the future, but he could be uh, somewhat on the radar. Uh, I know Snit was very, very positive about Smith Shaver, and I didn't see it, but people were really high on the way he pitched in the sim game. It's a sim game, but obviously he's a very talented guy. He is quite young, but could give you length and also some upside with the way that he throws. Um, let's just say this. There, there's two discussions to have, I suppose. What's most likely and what Scott Coleman would do. Uh, do you have opinions on how they should use the 12th and potentially 13th uh, spots here? I, I think A.J. smith Shaver has very much played himself into a role of some kind. I don't know exactly what that role would be or if he'll throw innings in the NLDS, but I think because he has the live arm, of course, can hit upper 90s, especially if he's only going to throw an inning or two or three. You know, I think he is he has worked his way very much into the conversation. I would lean towards AJ Smith Shaver making the roster. And for that last spot, man, I really don't know. Darius Vines, Alan Winans, I suppose their value lies in being able to cover like five innings in some kind of extreme, bizarre, <laughs> eight, you know, 18 inning scenario and extras or something. Yes. Um, you know, Colin McHugh has not had a good season at all, but he has been around the club quite a bit the last week or two. You mentioned he was activated. So if I had to, to bet, I don't feel great about it. I'm going to guess that McHugh finds himself on there. It's a bummer because Nick Anderson at the midway point in the season was just awesome. And it's been a very, very weird shoulder injury for him. Just not a lot of reporting on it. He really hasn't been around. The team hasn't talked about him very much. So I'm guessing of this last group, Smith Shaver and McHugh find themselves on. But, uh, you know, admittedly, I, I have no real confidence in Colin McHugh at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think there's maybe a world where they go with Anderson um, but he has not pitched since July 7th in a game. That's a long time, man. That's three months. And, you know, he's going to pitch in the sim game. I think they maybe are keeping him or at least trying to get him ready because, as you said, he was quite good and he is experienced. This is a guy who's 33 years old. He's pitching in the playoffs before. Like, he wouldn't be totally out of his element. It's just that um, it is risky and weird to have a guy pitch for the first time in three months in the playoffs. Um, you know, it, it could happen. And look, they, they could also carry, again, they can go back and carry – uh, you know, 13 position players, uh, 14 position players, I suppose, if you go with Wall and Grissom. And that leads you with 12 pitchers, and that kind of trims it down. And uh, this is a whole different discussion that we will hopefully have to have in about a week about the next round. But once you add Morton back in there, it gets interesting again. But um, yeah, I think, again, there's a little bit of nuance here, but nothing crazy. We've had many more in, in previous years contentious discussions about the roster and decisions and this time around with the DH and kind of the way that they have so many guys just kind of locked into their roles and to what you said earlier about how kind of the roster does feel shortened in terms of like the actual functionality of it. There really isn't a ton of drama here. There'll be a, a surprise or two, maybe a point, a, 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 maybe a guy or two to monitor. Um, and by the way, uh, 
the Braves have taken to waiting until the last possible moment to announce the roster. So this might not happen until Saturday morning, which is like bad for podcasting. If, if Alex, mm-hmm. if Alex and Snit could like be more favorable to us, I'd appreciate that. But yeah, alas, yeah. won't they think of the podcasters? Brad? They will not. They will the not real, think of the podcasters. At all. Real heroes. No. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and and ultimately, again, it, you know, we're debating the the last two or three spots on this roster. I think in a perfect everything has gone well world for the Braves. They're they're not having to tap into any of these players in big time roles. Sure. Maybe one of these relievers on the cusp, throw an inning, you know, maybe they cover a couple innings if there's a blowout or, or whatever the situation is. But I think ultimately, you know, the Braves is top 20 or so players on this roster is just so, so strong. You're not taking hardly anybody out of the lineup ever other than maybe a pinch run, situation very very late in the game or heaven forbid an injury so let's hope the Braves just don't have to tap into the bullpen and tap in too deep to the bench because they you know Atlanta's one through 20 on the roster is better than everybody's we totally agree on that okay let's take a break now and hear from our sponsor today's podcast and then when we come back we will dive a little bit deeper into the Phillies and the schedule and of course our predictions at the end of the podcast stay tuned be right back With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, Scott, as of this recording on Wednesday evening, we still do not have first pitch times, which is unfortunate, but I'm sure as people listen to this, they'll be out in the next day or two, maybe even during this podcast. We'll see if they come out. I'm trying to monitor as we talk, but game one is on Saturday at Truist Park. Then game two is on Monday after an off day on Sunday. And again, one more time on this podcast, at least a reminder that if all goes according to plan, Strider and Free could each go twice in the series. Prefer, preferably, they just win the series before then, but they certainly could go twice based on the extra off day on Sunday and on Tuesday. And then game three is maybe worth talking about now before we dive into the Phillies. Um, of course, the, the starting pitcher is up for debate because Charlie Morton is unavailable. Uh, for a while, and even on this podcast, even though we've been a little bit skeptical of Bryce Elder this season, the assumption was it would be Bryce Elder. Uh, and then he stumbled even more so down the stretch. Um, you have other options. You know, Kyle Wright has been operating in a bullpen role, but it's a long bullpen role. Maybe he is in the mix to either start or be a piggyback. They could even use Smith Shaver. They could even use an opener. I know we've uh, we've seen uh, Chavez in that role. We've even seen Mincher in that role in previous years. Scott, do you have a preferred plan for game three? And again, maybe it'll change based on what happens in game game one and game two. But as we talk now on Wednesday, this is a, this is almost a week away at this point in time. Uh, what would Scott Coleman do in game three? It's a cop-out answer, Uh-oh. but I, I want to see what happens in games one and two. Oh, come on. That's not fun, Scott. That's bad podcasting. 
I know it's I very just... poor. You know, <laughs> we could have this whole philosophical debate about uh, managing and operating a bullpen game when at any moment you could be a game or two away from having your season ended. You know, famously in that 2020 bubble playoff series, AJ Minter started a game and was phenomenal over three innings. If you're telling me that if the Braves have a 2-0 lead and an opportunity to shut down the series in Philadelphia, I, man, I would be awfully tempted to give AJ Minter the ball against those big time lefties at the top of the Philadelphia order and letting him rip until he can't rip anymore. And sure, there may come an eighth inning where you wish you had AJ available, but that eighth inning may never happen. At the same time, it, right? So you can run through all of these scenarios. I think there's a world where you could start Kyle Wright, who has obviously pitched at the highest level in the sport, came out of the bullpen in the World Series, has pitched really well since coming back from the shoulder problem. You know, I don't think Bryce Elder is going to start. I suppose there's also a world, I just talked about the 2-0 lead, where the Braves may almost want to cool the Jets a little bit, which terrifies me, but cool the Jets and see what Elder gives you and just kind of say anything he can give you is gravy and then you hand it to the rest of the bullpen. But because there's so many days off in this series, I really don't think bullpen fatigue is going to be a thing. And if that's the case, I would rather give the ball to one of the better arms coming out of that bullpen than handing the ball to Bryce Elder and you know closing your eyes and praying <laughs> that he doesn't get eaten alive at Citizens Bank Park. Yeah, so this is a it's a difficult topic because we've gotten some some heat for being for in the minds of many people too low on Bryce, and I think we're probably proving to be accurate late in the, late in the season. Um, and look, he just finished a season where he had, he had a 3.81 ERA for the full season. Like that's, that's not a small thing. That's it. That's an impressive figure. Uh, the metrics don't really support that. The underlying stuff, um, across the board from FIP and XFIP to strike out the walk rate, all the, all those things that you look at, uh, his ground ball rate has gotten worse and worse. And it seems like people have kind of figured him out to some degree. Um, with that said, with the uncertainty around Morton, uh, there is, and this is one of those things that why Snick gets paid the big bucks and why Alex does as well. Um, there might be a small element and people probably hate this, but um, of like making sure you don't lose Bryce Elder, like confidence wise, mentally, because if you keep going and Morton's kind of not a lock, even for the next year, for the next series, you're going to need Bryce Elder, I think. Now, and I say that as someone who's not a, again, not a elder enthusiast compared to most, but th that's maybe an argument for it. I think it's also kind of, um, you know, I'm kind of on your side where I would be a little bit more aggressive. Probably I would be looking potentially to piece it together with a combination of right Smith Schauber and your longer bullpen guys, maybe elder is on the roster and doesn't start. And you kind of have him as a longer guy, which is a little bit off of the off script. Um, this is one of those things as well, where, um, a guy who started all season long, it's not the easiest thing in the world to suddenly be like, hey, Bryce, we want you to be ready, but you're not going to start. That's a little bit weird, too. So I will not act like we're in the locker room in the clubhouse. Um, it is what it is. But I if they're down 0-2, uh, boy, I, I cannot imagine throwing Bryce Elder in game three. Um, but maybe they will. Uh, and I'll say this. Maybe we can agree on one thing here, Scott, and that would be if Bryce Elder is a starter in game three, his leash has to be short, like quite short. Oh, it, I don't want to beat up on Bryce Elder because 
he was one of the the unsung, not even unsung. He was sung. He was an all star. He, he then, was he was very sung, but still, like he was a valuable. He was a two win player this year. Look, if you told me preseason that Bryce Elder is going to have thirty one starts and be worth like approximately two WAR, I would have taken that and run one hundred percent. And that's a yeah. valuable thing that they had in their in their rotation amid other concerns and Freeb was out for a while. All those things. Wright was largely gone all year long. Elder was a contributor to this roster. All that is said and acknowledged, and we're not saying otherwise. Now, though, it's a new season in some respects, and you have to be like more in the moment. And I think neither one of us are going to be comfortable with Bryce Elder, but we'll see. Yeah. If they do opt to give him the start, I would have someone basically warming up slowly in the bullpen would would be how and maybe that's how <laughs> they handle that game regardless of who starts well probably it's... that's the that's the whole reason why i mean you have you have two days off too i mean that's the thing it's also very odd because you know my brain in a playoff series like you're not used to they're off two of the three days before game three like that's it's a weird situation like yeah. everyone's going to be so fresh that that also makes it easier on i think for snit because you know there's no concern about frying your bullpen oh, sorry i should say this about having your bullpen already be fried you can you can kind of put pedal to the metal a little bit in game three obviously you want to be cognizant of the rest of the series because there's no more off days um uh, we not there's not an off day the next day i should say there's one there's one more in the series after that but um it's going to be interesting just because i i don't know how they do it but yeah i think if you maybe you don't have kyle wright standing on the mound in the bullpen in the first inning but certainly next to the phone <laughs> yeah, or, or smash or whoever or whoever it's going to be it, it will be all hands on deck certainly as it should be in a playoff series uh so yeah i mean in a, in a perfect world you games one and two go very well you have strider you have freed and, and then you just kind of take game three as it goes and it's it's amazing just you know looking back on that 2021 i think brian snitker did a really good job that year of just kind of managing the game in the sense of you're not going to win every single night. And when you're not going to win, being able to cool the jets and give everybody a breather is really, really important. And I'm not saying that you have to go and just completely punt. Like if they go down two nothing early, I'm not saying you punt the game by any means, but I think Brian Snitker has shown he's done a really nice job of, of just kind of getting a feel for the game of when to really push all the buttons and when to just kind of let things go and and see how it all plays out. Yep. And like we both acknowledged game one and game two could have a huge impact because big picture, and we'll come back to this at the end end of the podcast, the first two games are at home. And if you take care of business there and you go back to Philly up to nothing, there's a little bit more freedom, but nothing is assured at that point either because Philadelphia's crowd's been raucous and all that, all that fun stuff too. Um, Let's just dive into the Phillies now. So, (laughs) <laughs> here we go uh, it's a rematch of last year uh the braves lost of course 3-1 they split at home and then lost both games in philadelphia um not to rehash the whole thing but they got rocked in three of the four games giving up seven runs or more in all three of the losses ironically the only starter that was good was kyle wright <laughs> who has been uh kind of had this lost season the other guys uh free and morton were all bad for various reasons and there were sicknesses and all that stuff and then the offense was also bad uh, I tweeted some stuff out today. There were four guys who were good, at least pretty good in the series. It was Acuna, it was Olsen, it was Arcia, and Darno. I'm using this is pre Sean Murphy, of course. Everybody else in the lineup was bad, and I mean everybody, sub 500 OPS or worse. I tweeted this out today and got you to even respond to me. 
Um, five of the nine everyday guys, basically, or close to everyday guys in the series last year combined to go four for 61 in the series. That was Ozuna, Rosario, Dansby, who's not there anymore, of course, Riley and Harris. And of course, they had an Arcia as a reminder playing second base because Ozzy was hurt. If you take out Dansby, who is gone, Ozuna, Rosario, Riley and Harris, who are four of the guys who are going to start game one, combined to go two for 45 in the series. <laughs> uh, that is, it, didn't, it didn't go well, Scott. <laughs> I, I'm looking at these stats here, Brad. And and I promise we're not going to relive all the PTSD. No. But h- how did the Braves win a single game with, I mean, literally everything that could go wrong did go wrong a year ago is, is how I reflect on that series. The offense was completely cold. The pitching was three of the four starters were hurt in some capacity. And the bullpen just wasn't as sharp as it had been for months. So I, I know that, it's fresh. It's still a fresh wound in, in all of our, you know, all of our hearts. But man, everything that could go wrong did go wrong last year. And hopefully that will not happen again. But that's just throwing it out there. It is a rematch. There will be plenty. Look, there already would be. It's the Braves and the Phillies. There were longtime rivals. There would already be plenty of juice to the series. But uh, it's going to be maybe even a, a half step heightened, basically, that, that they played a lot. They played last year. It was an upset loss. Phillies made the World Series, all that stuff. Um this year, the Braves go eight and five against Philadelphia. They had a plus 16 run differential, which is pretty good in 13 games. Um, there is kind of a tough element with regard to the way that Philly plays at home. So Philly was 49 and 32 at home this year. And I read this in a, a stat packet today. The Phillies have the best home winning percentage in MLB playoff history, basically since the new park or newish park, not really new anymore, park was built, Citizens Bank. They are like ridiculous at home. And there, there's a lot of attention paid to their crowd tonight and yesterday. I don't know if this matters that much, Scott, but it's it's a talking point that you're definitely going to hear in the, in the next few days. It is a talking point, And how do you take a crowd out of a game? Yep. When? You go up <laughs> early. Yeah. Right. You go up early. You can't let Philadelphia. And I I say this like it's easy. Like, you know, hey, someone sneak into the clubhouse and tell the boys, hey, if you can get an early lead, it'll help out. Like, obviously. But man, you if if you can get out to an early lead in that ballpark and just kind of keep them quiet, uh, you know, it's going to do wonders because it it is a very rowdy, strong home crowd for the Phillies. I'm I'm not denying that in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I mean. I am just to be say the obvious thing. I am very, very confident that Truist will be popping as well. Um, it's not like this is going to be a, a quiet environment at Truist. Like on Tampa Saturday. Bay. Uh, oh, my oh God. My Brad, did you see <laughs> they announced like 19,000 fans? Which, which means less than that. And yeah, yeah was, which means like 14,000. Oh, my Lord. Those to, to be charitable. It was an afternoon game. But man, it was that was brutal. That, you can't you can't have that. Bad uh, that's bad. Um, but yeah, no, that. So I'm just saying all that to say you're going to hear you're going to hear that. It does, you know, this is not like you're going, like you just said, you're not, you're not going to Tampa. It's going it's to be raucous. Um, I've already seen some people say that the Braves, quote unquote, have to win the first two at home. It would be nice if they won the first two at home. I think the Braves could certainly win the series with, with a home loss, but um, it would be better if they didn't have to do that. <laughs> the pressure would be uh, much, I, uh, much less if they could just win at home. Yeah, I will say this. Obviously, if you can win the first two games, huge, great, right? You got to win one out of the last three. Uh, in my opinion, in my evaluation of this series, they have to win game one. 
is really how I look. Have at to. It now. Wow. Scott Scott says season over if it was on Saturday. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, I didn't say that. <laughs> season Half over. Is, I guess too strong. They very much need to win game one. They will have their biggest pitching advantage. It is at home. It is on a Saturday. Philadelphia will have had less time to prepare. They have to travel for all of those reasons with presumably Spencer Strider against Ranger Suarez, probably against a lefty who the Braves have just crushed all year long. I mean, it's not a must win because of course, I mean, the Braves lost game one of the NLDS two years ago and went on to win the series in four. It's not a must win. It's not a must win until if you lose the game, your season is over, but they really need to win on Saturday. Yeah. Um, and just we'll say this now. I looked at the betting market as we were talking. The Braves are solid favorites, like minus 165 at DraftKings, minus 190 at FanDuel to win the series. And they have home, they have home field, they're the higher seed. Um, objectively, the Braves are the better team. Now, this is a podcast in which we talk all the time and probably even too much about how baseball is the most random of the sports and even the better team loses a decent amount of the time in a playoff series. That's especially a best of five playoff series. So there's nothing to say, as we saw last year, that the Braves were the better team last year. They didn't win the series. Um, the game one, uh, while we're here, uh, is going to be an advantageous spot for the Braves. Now, you could say there's the rust factor that will get discussed a lot in the next couple of days, but they'll be arrested. They'll have Strider on the mound. We don't know, as of this recording, um, who is pitching for the Phillies, but we know it will not be Wheeler and it will not be Nola. And that means that no matter if it's Ranger Suarez or Chris Sanchez or Taiwan Walker, none of those guys are, are, are as good as Spencer Strider and the Braves are the best line in baseball. So th- those those two things mean advantage Braves in game one. Now, does that mean they're, that they're definitely going to win? No, but they're minus, I'm looking right now, they're minus 200 favorites in game one. They're, so they're bigger favorites in game one than they are in the series, which kind of makes sense. Yeah, and I think it's natural as fans to just automatically assume the worst. Of course. But man, this <laughs> Braves team is so damn good, and they have been so damn good for six months the entire way. So, yes, the Phillies are a very good team. Yes, very sadly, Brad and I could do a podcast with everyone in two weeks and say, you know, it was a great year, but the Phillies just had a better week than the Braves did. But the Braves are just, I mean, this lineup, man, it's just, it's crazy to watch other playoff teams, especially like the bottom half of their lineups, where you look at him, you go, ooh, this guy kind of stinks. And then you think about who the Braves are rolling out in the bottom half. It really is marvelous to watch on a nightly basis. And I know everyone's still jaded and hurt from last year, but I mean, there's, there's a reason the Braves are going to be Pretty decent sized favorites in the series. Of course, anything can happen, but don't let last year where everything went wrong just automatically make you think the Braves are going to get spanked this week because I, I mean, spoiler, I, I think they win the series. Uh, yeah, that's that all sounds right. Um, I don't know. We could, we could dive in. I mean, I think people kind of know the Phillies, but maybe, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe I'm just. No, I think, I mean, there's the familiarity, there's the division stuff, there's, but, you know, the Phillies are a team that has played better over the last couple of months, too. They they were not great early. Bryce Harper was coming back from the elbow surgery. Uh, Trey Turner was not good for the first, like, four months of the year. So they've, you know, they have turned it on, to be sure. They are playing their best baseball of the season. 
They are. And uh, before Steven yells at us through the through the uh, computer or phone or whatever, um, it's not as, it's not like a recency thing. Like September doesn't necessarily correlate, but they do have better numbers. Even if you go back to like July one kind of thing or August one or however you want to kind of break that up. And look, the, the Phillies are good. There's a reason why I know that uh, essentially every Braves fan that I have seen or Braves observer that I have seen, everyone was rooting for the Marlins <laughs> because they're just, they were not as good as the Phillies. And because the Marlins are very bad. Yeah. Not very bad, but they suck. I mean, they, that, that they was do kind of suck. Yeah. Those were uh, two non-competitive baseball games. That That's true. Uh, and just to, by the way, I just pulled a number because uh, you brought it up uh, since August one, which is obviously an arbitrary number. Uh, only the Braves have as many home runs as the Phillies in all of major league baseball. And I believe the Phillies are third or fourth in MLB and WRC plus since August 1st. So they've been a little bit uh, better to your point in the second half or the last third, or however you want to say that of the season. But like, it's a good offense, a 113 WRC plus after the all-star break. Um, they were in the top four in the national league in like all the categories that matter runs, OPS, home runs, all that stuff. The big names are the big names. They got Bryce Harper, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, Trey Turner. That's kind of their big four. Um, they have a lot of power. They don't really have a, a huge platoon split either. Uh, let me just ask you this, Scott. This is not on the notes, but um, other than Harper, I think is the probably has to be the answer. Who scares you the most other than Harper? Because Harper, Harper terrifies me always. But uh, is there another guy for you that's like actually scary in this lineup? Trey Turner, who... Other than the 2021 NLCS, has never made an out against the Braves. That is true. Uh, he's he's not had a great year, but he has been better lately, like you said earlier too. Yeah. So. No, I mean Trey, Trey Turner is a really really good baseball player, and you know if you can negate his impact on the game with his speed, it's huge because they have some real boppers. You know, I think their lineup construction is interesting with Schwarber leading off. He is like the most unprototypical leadoff guy ever but he gets on base to steal the uh, money ball quote. He, <laughs> and what does he do? Base. He gets on base. Yes. Yeah. Gets on base. And then you have Turner, uh, Bryce Harper. You have uh, Nick Castellanos, who again, somehow turns into like Willie Mays whenever he plays the Braves, you, you know, the, up and down the lineup, real Muto, Alec Bohm. I mean, they, they have some real talent here and it's, I mean, there's a reason the Phillies made the world series last year. Yes. They did not have a tremendous regular season. They just kind of fell forward into the playoffs because other teams fell off late in the year. But, I mean, they're a talented team. They have a great top end of the rotation. They have a bullpen that throws hard. So this is a good team. I I think my counter would be you're not going to find a bad team in the championship series or in the division series. There's only eight teams left. And sure, Philadelphia is probably – uh, one of the, you know, I don't know, top six teams remaining. But, I mean, the Braves are going to have to beat them in. I mean, for years, the Dodgers were the team they seemingly couldn't get past. And I know they've only seen the Phillies once in the playoffs in recent years, but this just feels like a good opportunity to exercise some demons after last season. I think we agree. I, I will just say one thing. People were asking this question today. I got a, I got a DM from someone who uh, I, I, I would call a friend um, that basically asked why baseball does not reseed after the wild card round um, because it would be a lot better if the Braves were faced the Diamondbacks who had a negative run differential. It does seem a little bit silly that the Braves after 104 wins have to face 
the Phillies, who I, I believe strongly were the third best team in the National League this year, while while the Dodgers get to face the Diamondbacks, who had a, again, negative run differential for the season. That's kind of brutal. But alas, here we are. <laughs> yeah, I tend to agree. Um, you know, I, not to go off tangent, I think the Diamondbacks actually, I'm going to I'm going to pick the Diamondbacks to beat the Dodgers. I you think are. They... Is it? Oh, 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 I'm hold on one sec. I'm getting I'm getting a phone. Scott's from Arizona. Scott's being a homer on the podcast. Look at that. I have watched a lot of Diamondbacks <laughs> baseball, Bradley. They are the most annoying team in the best way possible, where just the way they play is a pain in the ass. And they put the Braves through their paces in both series. Um, so yeah, that's uh we're gonna break the mold and say I'm taking the Diamondbacks in five. There you go. I, I disagree with you, but I, I I'd, lo- I'd love to see it. Uh, listen for the Braves. I would much rather see the Diamondbacks than the Dodgers in the next. I, I would too. Happens. I'm I am uh, maybe I'm blind in my Diamondbacks faith, but you're, you're no. I mean, of course, for the Diamondbacks. No, I'm kidding. It, but it is very on brand for Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred to not reseed when everybody else reseeds. I yeah. don't get it. And you know it's 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 a quirk. I don't I don't really think about that a lot. I just got like multiple messages today, like, "Hey, people just kind of noticing, like, hey, why, why are we playing the Diamondbacks?" And I'm like, ah, uh, it is what it is. Okay, so we talked about their lineup. We're gonna talk about their pitching. You know, it's worth noting Zach Wheeler again is one of the best pitchers in the league, and the Braves could and probably will see him in Game Two and a potential Game Five. That's something to keep an eye on. No, you know, Freed versus Wheeler is. Uh, I would call it a draw, and that might be generous to Max, the way that Wheeler has pitched this year, which is a pretty impressive. I mean, again, I, I have a lot of respect for Max. Um, uh, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big nod to not call it advantage Phillies. So that's, that tells you how good Wheeler is. Yeah. No, Zach Wheeler's a phenomenal baseball player. I really wish the Braves would have signed him a few years ago. He was We tried always just, on this podcast. We tried. We did. It was not for a lack of the podcast. I will tell you that much. Um, but he's very good. And I think that just kind of plays off a little bit more of what I was saying a few minutes ago of just how important game one is. And of course, you can say, well, yes, yeah, Scott, game one in a best of five is obviously <laughs> important. Yeah. But because of everything we've talked about, having Strider against Philadelphia's number three, it just to me feels like as much of a must win as you can have when it's not a true must win. That's uh, that's all fair. And then, you know, Aaron Nola, presumably in game three, he's not had a great year by his standards, but he's a good pitcher. He was good in the playoff yeah. series against Miami. Um, if he gets uh, 15 inches off the plate like he did tonight <laughs> in the wild card round, he's he's a great pitcher, man. I would love to be a big leaguer. And, oh, my God. If, if you miss the wild card round, that was some of the worst home plate officiating I have seen in recent years. Yeah, I uh, I'm going to leave that alone. But, yeah, I think you're right. Um, but at, at a bare minimum. I would say the only um, clear pitching advantage for Philadelphia in the series is game three. Aaron Nola versus whatever the Braves have in game three is advantage Philly uh, on paper. So um, because, again, as we talked about earlier, game three for the Braves is like wildly uncertain right now, whereas Aaron Nola is for some faults that he has a good pitcher. So and a guy who's done it before. It would go a long way if the Braves could win games one and two for all of our mental health. Scott, do you think the Braves need to win game one by any chance? You-, um, you know, we should talk about that a little bit more because I have a lot. <laughs> uh, oh, one yeah. more note that I want to make sure I don't forget to say. Uh, the Braves have, I don't even know if it's controversial. There are differing opinions on the Braves defense. 
one thing I will say is that the Braves defense is a lot better than the Phillies defense. The Phillies defense is terrible once again. So that that's, that, that's maybe a marginal um, interesting advantage in the series is that Phillies defense is full of a bunch of butchers. Um, they have, they have DHs playing multiple spots. So that's helpful potentially on the margins. Yeah. Hit the ball to the outfield and, uh, and see what happens. Uh, they do have Christian Pache though, playing quite a bit. Good he for started Christian. today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I, I meant to notice that Uh, it was just one of those things. Like he he's not playing every day for them, at least he hasn't been. But uh, yeah, old friend. He's uh, he's kind of in the Kevin Pillar against lefties role. Is kind of the vibe I've gotten. But hey, good for him, man. I mean, he's kind of I don't want to say resurrected his career because he's young, but he has really turned things around since a bad uh, first fully season, I guess, out in Oakland. Yeah, uh, hopefully uh, he doesn't have a great series here. Um, but certainly cool to see uh, an old friend uh, on the opposite side. Before we get into final predictions and get out of here, um, I don't even know where to go with it. I mean, other than just like game one's a pivot point, I was going to ask you for like a key to the series because it might just be game one. It might be what the Braves do in game three. It might be like, for instance, a guy like Austin Riley, I would throw out there. Austin Riley kind of quietly has not been good in the playoffs. He was pretty decent in 2021, a couple of big moments that people remember, but he has a career 591 OPS in 133 plate appearances in the playoffs. That's pretty bad. And like, he's really the only guy in the lineup. And I did some research and we won't talk about it all now. The only guy in the lineup that has like more than one series under his belt in the playoffs, it's actually not been good. Everybody else has been like, okay to good, whether it's Olsen or, or Arcia or Ronnie or Murphy or Ozuna, they've all been like kind of either themselves or themselves ish. And Riley's just kind of not been. So uh, that's a guy I'm circling. I, I think he kind of gets by it here. I think he's going to have a big series. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm always kind of seen as being low on Riley. I'm, I'm kind of calling my shot here, Scott. I think he's going to have a big series. I like it. Yeah, I would say if there's a, I guess, more of a group of players I'm keeping an eye on, it would be the, we'll call them the, the middle and bottom parts of the lineup because Eddie Rosario has been very, very hot and cold all year. <laughs> to say the least. It is, it is was, entire life, by the way, not, not just this year. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. He is a, a roller coaster. Um, he did not have a good September at all. He was not very good. Um, Orlando Arcia has also cooled down quite a bit from earlier in the year. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and, and then Michael Harris has been amazing. Uh, you know, so we know how whenever Michael Harris is going well, you just feel it because he is always on base when he is going right. He's always on base ahead of Acuna and Ozzy and Olsen. I mean, it just it just pours gasoline on the fire tenfold. So if the bottom half of the lineup can have a good series, I have a hard time seeing the Braves just not out slugging Philadelphia. Uh, that's obviously not a guarantee by any means, but I am curious to see if that bottom half of the lineup is locked in because they feel pretty darn good about one through five, especially the way that Marcel has just been mashing the baseball lately. That one through five is unbelievably good. And then it's just a matter of, and actually I missed Sean Murphy, um, the catchers. I assume Murphy is going to catch most every game. They've not said anything about that, but I think that that is a safe assumption. I don't know if it'll be every single game, but he will catch the majority. I have to think. Yeah. Yeah. So I meant, and I missed Murphy the first time through, but if, if Murphy can give them anything after his very good first half and very bad second half, um, that would be huge as well. Talking about him and Rosario and Garcia. Yep. I'm with you all the way on that. And uh, I listened to a baseball podcast called effectively wild from fan graphs, uh, Ben Lindbergh 
is the, the longtime host there, but also Meg Rowley. And they did a draft with a couple of folks um, from their stable and picked like position groups basically across the across the playoffs. And all of them agreed the number one pick by a lot was the Braves lineup. Uh, so that kind of tells you like what the Braves are supposed to be, what they have been this year. And we, we cover, I, I, know, I know Sean's covered it. I know you and Steven talked about it a little bit on the most recent episode of, of this show, but the Braves lineup has been historically good this year, like full stop. And that doesn't ensure anything, but it is a, it is a unit that you can be confident in and that you kind of have to be confident in small sample size theater is what it is, but um, you can't really ask for much more than they've been this year. And I agree with you. The bottom half of the lineup is a little bit more of a roller coaster, but they have, stars they have depth they have a lack of weaknesses like even if you want to point to Arcia or eddie as like a relative weakness like compared to most other teams those guys are not huge weaknesses so no, it's a good place no. to be and we've seen them get very hot and really impact a game so yeah um, yeah i think that's and then of course the other captain obvious is just the third game game three <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah yeah i'm with you then that one's gonna you. yeah i mean they're, they're definitely going uphill in that one on the road a bullpen game against Aaron Nola, who's been very good for a long time. Uh, but again, I mean, that that's going to be, I mean, every game is crucial in a, in a best of five. Um, but, you know, ideally, and I, and just play clean baseball, you know, watching how poorly the Rays, how you know, Tampa Bay was making errors all over the place. The base running has been really bad too. in the, in the wild card round, just just play smart, fundamental, sound baseball because you can't make mistakes, man. You start giving away outs or giving team extra outs in this part of the year, it's going to burn you nine times out of ten. Yep, I think we are on the same page there. Uh, all right, Scott, before we get out of here, it's time for an official prediction. As I said before, the Braves are favored in the betting market by a decent number. Um, I saw, I just saw that Fangraphs updated their playoff odds, and they're giving the Braves – um, drum roll, please. A 60.4% chance to win the series. So about 60, 40. That might seem low to people, but that's just baseball for you, man. The Braves have been a lot better than the Phillies this year, but five game series, small sample sizes. Um, I'm pretty sure the Braves will be the biggest. Yeah, I'm looking right now. The Braves are the biggest favorite of any, of any LDS series and they're 60, 40. So that kind of tells you the nature of baseball. I think we are in for four just awesome series. When I look at them, I mean, I guess there's a world where the Houston and Minnesota series is a little lopsided, but even the Twins are a dangerous playoff team. I think they almost they have look good some, this week. Like yeah, they they almost have some like 2021 Brave, 2022 Philly qualities to them, just with how they are constructed with their power and the top end of the rotation. Um, to make my official prediction, I will take the Atlanta Braves in five. I am going to say that uh, home field actually holds serve the entire way. The Braves win two, then Philly wins two, and then oh, the Braves <laughs> wrap it up in five at Truist, hopefully with Max Fried on the mound. I think it's going to be a great series. If you tell me that these are two of the four or five best teams in the sport, I mean, it, it's pretty easy for me to say, and I think uh, I think a lot of folks would agree. A great rivalry. And really, I think, as I said a little earlier, a chance to exercise some demons a little bit. I am so sick and tired of seeing Reese Hoskins bat slam. I want to bury that thing in the backyard and never have to think about it again. <laughs> so let's hope there are a lot of great moments and the Braves can move on. I already said, I think the Diamondbacks are actually going to shock the Dodgers. I'll take the Diamondbacks in five. I will take Houston in four. And I'm going to take Baltimore in five, although I think that that Texas-Baltimore series could be really, really fun. 
Yeah, uh, I'm going to pick, I promise. But I have to say, if can you imagine, I think you probably already have imagined this, but can you imagine a world where the Braves go up 2-0, then lose the next two, and just the angst before game five? That would be just a retching scenario for everyone. Could involved. we get Mike Fultonevich to go on the mound? Oh, sweet Lord. Um, to, to avoid that scenario, I'm going to say Braves in four. And because you know me, Scott, I am a noted Sunshine and Rainbows optimist. So I have to Always, be baby. Uh, Braves in four is my pick. And uh, I think it's was... going to go um, exactly how we may lay it out. I think it's going to be Braves win two, Braves lose game three, uh, and then win game four on the road. My mental health would appreciate a non-game five. Um, uh, oh yeah, for all the, all kinds of reasons. I mean, again, especially if it's two, especially if it's two zero, then two two. Just the heightened nature of like maybe blowing a two zero lead, like all that stuff. It just would be just a lot to deal with. Yeah. And, and look, <laughs> the Braves could sweep, and I wouldn't be terribly surprised. Uh, the Braves could win in five, and I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think the only scenario, and I'm going to jinx this. I'm knocking on wood. The only scenario that would actually surprise me is the Braves losing in a sweep. Honestly, yeah, uh, I think if the Braves didn't lo- didn't win a game, I would be genuinely surprised. Every other outcome, and that includes, unfortunately for us, Braves losing in four or five would not shock me. Braves losing in three would, would be surprising. Every other outcome in the series would not be from Braves sweep to Phillies in four. Everything else in between would be kind of in the realm of normal, honestly. And that's unfortunate. I wish they were playing the Marlins because if they play Scott, if they play in the Marlins. I would pick the sweep. Yeah. Braves in three. Yeah. Um, so that's unfortunate, <laughs> but uh, yeah, here we are a year ago, Brad. And then I know we'll get out of here last year. You had a great stat. I don't know if you know it off the top of your head. Oh no. And there was like a study done by some really smart baseball people about how many games a playoff series in baseball needs to be for the better team to win the appropriate amount of times. Wasn't it like 50 games or I something? I think it was like 75. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, I know it's a crutch and I, I try not to do it too, too much on these because we have new listeners and stuff like that. But if you're unfamiliar, it's just the, the reality is in baseball, the best team over 162, especially with the new expanded playoff format does not win the the championship very often. Um, the Braves, I think we can all be honest with with ourselves. We're not the best team in 2021. They, They just weren't, uh, nothing matters they they the, the the flag flies forever they they hang the banner and all those things they won they won the world series 2021 but like you know qualitatively for 162 they're not the best team in 2021 um and sometimes they do win i mean last year you could argue about the astros were the best team i don't know I mean, they were certainly on the short list um and the braves could win it this year but it, there's just there is more randomness and um that makes you feel good if you're not the best team and it makes you feel a little bit more angsty when you are the best team. And I think that while this is obviously a, a podcast that covers the Atlanta Braves, I think if you pull people that cover baseball, not just the Braves, I think that you would probably have some relative uniformity on picking the Braves as the best team in baseball. Um, so that's comforting, like you're, that you're the best team. But even then, I, I, I said the Fangraphs playoff odds a minute ago, the Fangraphs playoff odds have the Braves comfortably as the best team in baseball. And they give the Braves a 27% chance to win the World Series as of right now. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a lot of fun and there'll be a lot of uh, nervous moments along the way. Oh, terrified, terrified moments throughout. Uh, We should say this, Scott. Yeah, yeah. we're going to be here the entire way on this podcast. It may not not be you and me every single day, but we will have a podcast. I can uh, virtually guarantee this um, on my honor after every game in the entire playoff run. I don't know who's going to be or what combinations or what time or whatever. We're going to have a podcast at least every day after after every game. 
probably some off, off, off day stuff as well in between games, especially this first series with three days off in between games. Um, we'll have other content too, but uh, we will take you all the way through. And I, I, I know you appreciate people like this as well. We had a lot of people jump on the bandwagon um, in 21 and we were doing shows every day and you and I and Eric were very tired by the end, but it was a lot of fun. And I hopefully we'll have a similar turnout this time around for po- folks that don't, that don't, that don't always listen um, certainly spread the word for us to people that may be just playoff only listeners or whatever. We we would appreciate any kind of share and um, let's expand the reach and expand the bandwagon as wide as possible because it's going it's to be fun, hopefully for the next several weeks instead of just one week. Yeah, no, let's, let's keep this thing rolling. It has been such a special year really since opening day and let's hope there's some special memories on the horizon, a really, really good Braves team and a really good Phillies team so it should be a lot of fun. Of course, long-time rivalry in the NL East. And we'll be here, as Brad said. Uh, we'll be here every single night, win, lose, or, well, probably not draw, but win or lose, yeah. we'll be here. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. So please, thank you to everybody for checking us out. Please uh, subscribe, share, tell your friends, tell your enemies. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's get this thing going. It's it's uh, Braves playoff baseball. It doesn't get any better than that. That is well said. Even tell your Phillies fan friends. I don't really care if they like the podcast, if they like the Phillies, but they can at least listen to us. Click on the click on the podcast, download, steal your phone of some elderly person in your life and have them download the podcast. That's an old trick for uh, Stephen Godfrey, just Stephen Godfrey and the SED crew. But anyway, thank you for listening to, to the podcast, everybody. I really do appreciate that. We might have even more between now and the game on Saturday. I'm checking one more time right now on the podcast, Scott, to make sure the MLB has not announced the first pitch time for Saturday, and yet they still have not because they hate us. Bob Manfred does not like us very much. Yeah, we have a lot um, of friends of the pod. Robert Manfred <laughs> is not a friend of the pod. He, he is not one of them. So anyway, we might have more between now and Saturday, but at the very least, this, this podcast will be there for you, and then we'll have a brand spanking new show after game one. So stay tuned. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all those fun places. We'll see you all next time.